0: Good morning. Ooh, this is going to be a good day, isn't it? I'll tell you what, I'm already a wreck. God is so good. So good. One of the reasons I'm a wreck and I'm trusting that God is so good is this beautiful woman standing next to me, my wife of 24 and a half years. She's beautiful, isn't she? I married way outside of my pay grade on this deal, I mean, All right, that's enough. Uh, Anyway, no, we, um, many of you have heard our story. If you've been through our What's Next group, you've heard our individual stories of how we came to know the Lord and and how God has worked in our lives and our marriage and and ministry for 27 plus years. Um, But we haven't gone into a lot of detail about um, our infertility journey. And uh, for those of you who've walked through that, and I'm sure there are many of you in here that have had some aspect of that journey in your marriage or in your, in your life, it's a difficult one to talk about. It's kind of a private one that we, we don't talk a whole lot about, and, and um, I'm thankful for my wife being willing to, to come up with me this morning and kind of share uh, a little of her, of her heart and her experience through a very, very difficult season in our marriage and in our lives together and just in our walk with the Lord. So this is my beautiful wife, Lori Klein. And um, honey, I just wanted to talk and kind of, you know, as, as, as we know, many of you don't know, we, we walked through infertility for almost nine years, the first part of our marriage. And um, I just, Lori, I just wanted you to come and kind of share what was some of the difficulty pieces to that? What are some of the things that, that you remember walking through that struggle? Do you mind sharing with us?
1: No, not at all. So when Drew first asked me, I said, how long do I have to talk? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some things in life, you just can't, man, they get, uh, they're pretty deep. But um, so we go through mountains and valleys, and that was definitely, it was a valley moment, but I was thinking about how there's no pit that's too deep, that God's not deeper still. So whatever we walk through, whatever it is, um, that God doesn't meet us right there. But for me, so we had been, we were married and... started kind of going down this road, um, because it wasn't naturally happening. And, um, you know, and so we were pretty busy in our, in our lives and careers at that point and stage of life. So I was blowing and going and fine with the way life was, honestly. And, um, my parents divorced when I was in junior high. So just from a broken home standpoint, I had, um, I had a lot of baggage from that. I had, uh, Going into our marriage, I had a lot of trust issues about men in general, so God had to do a lot of restoration and that, and I'm just here to testify that he does. So just, anyway, he's a good God. Sorry, I don't know what that is. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but as far as, when we started going into that journey, the baggage that I had was a lot of, um, a lot of fear of, man, I don't know what that looks like, and I honestly was afraid of what kind of mom I would be because... Um, my frame of reference was broken. Did that make sense? You know, and so when your frame of reference is kind of broken um, in places, you just really have to glean from the Lord. You know, you really does. He 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 fills you where you're weak, where you're lacking. And so for me, I had a lot of a lot of trust issues um, just with myself. I was like, I, you know, it's not happening. So I don't even know if we need to go down this road of infertility. And that's a whole nother thing of the label of infertility. We are infertile. You know, I mean, that whole label there in itself, you know, is like, well, no. I had this friend come to me, and she was struggling with infertility. And she said, I just want to be healed of this. And I remember telling her this was after we had had Daisy because we did go through in vitro fertilization. And, and, uh, and I told her, I said, listen, I said, you know what, Whether, whatever family looks like for you, and this is what I claim for myself, um, because we had to get to a point where we just, you just throw your hands up and you're like, okay, God, I don't know what this is gonna look like, but I trust you, I trust you, and you, that's just kind of where you gotta come to. You come to the end of yourself, and I remember telling this girl, I said, you know what, um, I will never be healed of infertility. You know, I'm, we are an infertile couple. Do we have children? Yes, they're miracles and they're blessings. Every child is a blessing, but whatever family looks like, however you come into that, uh, is a miracle and a blessing, and um, and I told her I said God walks you through things, you know. But that will always be a part of your story. It doesn't define you, so that doesn't define me, um, but it's a part of my story, you know. And um, I remember standing in church, just worshiping, hands raised, in in that season, in the in just kind of the throes, in the pit of, oh my goodness, all of the stuff that is uh, in vitro, and that whole road. And if anybody wants to talk to me about any of this, like later, I'm more than welcome that, a conversation. So there's so much more. But anyway, just trying to touch on these points. I just remember throwing my hands up, tears rolling down my face. We had tried some different things. That wasn't working. And so you kind of, it's a trial and error of kind of what's going to be the next step. And we had, we had gone to the Lord and we're just like, God, here's the steps we're going to take. If that works, great. If it doesn't, then we trust you every step along the way, we're like, this is how far we're going to go. This is where we feel a peace about. And so we're like, every step we take, God's going to meet us there. Whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like. And I remember hands up, tears rolling down my face. And that song, um, the worship song in that season was you give and take away. You know, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. Mm-hmm. That's it, you know? I mean, you give and you take away, This is not my story. You know, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. He's still worthy. He is still worthy. He is still worthy. And um, whatever. And you walk through life with your hands like this. I remember that moment going, God, whether you give us a child, whether whatever that looks like, blessed be your name. You are worthy. This is not my story. It's your story. You want to work through me, you know, through all of this. And, And honestly, that's just really where my heart was. I had a lot of baggage. God met me in those places and it was not, it was us together. We had some of our biggest fights in that season, like leading up to because I was, I was hanging on to, I don't know what that looks like. And y'all, this man is the most sensitive and caring and nurturing. Like I felt like I didn't measure up to that. I'm seriously, as a, just as a, as a woman, I thought, my gosh, you know, if he could birth a baby, he would do it, and he would do it way better than me. You know, I am not kidding. I
0: don't know if I'd go that and, far. And, but. He,
1: and he would be awesome because he's so nurturing and caring and sensitive. And I just felt like I was lacking in a lot of those areas. I did. I stand here, honestly, a different person than mm-hmm. what I was in that season. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I don't know how to even explain that except just... Um, I am. I am a. I am a different person mm-hmm. than what I was. My my focus was, uh, just broken. I guess I don't know. But um, you are so precious. <laughs> um, you know. I mean, like seriously. Like back then, I would have been like, somebody come hold this baby. I'm not gonna hold that baby. Like I didn't. It didn't. I felt like it didn't come natural. And now I'm just like God is mm. just. He has restored. He, the bottom line. God has restored something broken in me. Right. Even though I still. Even though we're still in our condition, mm-hmm. but he's so much bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah. I,
0: I think about moments, um, of course you start trying to rationalize with God why this is happening and how could he let this happen? And aren't we pretty good people, God, wouldn't this make sense for us to have kids? We're married, we've honored you, we, we love you, we want to serve you. Doesn't it make sense that you give us a child? And I can remember so much pain around friends getting pregnant or stories on movies or tv or diaper commercials it didn't matter it was all so painful it was all so painful and um, I'll tell you one thing just a testimony of who God is she was so afraid and it sounds so crazy and I know it sounds as crazy to you as it did me she was so afraid of being a mom she thought she would be a bad mom She's the best mom I've ever seen in my entire life. She's amazing. She cares for your kids too. Right now she's overworking with our, these children. You see every Sunday, you don't see her before the service because she's caring for your kids and she loves them and prays over them. And God has done an amazing 180 in your heart for the motherly beauty that you are and the gift that he's given you in that. So to close, what do you think are some ways that God has been faithful to to us? There's so many ways we could say it, but if you were to close in a way, what would you say about God's faithfulness?
1: Um, <clears throat> the word I just keep thinking is um, restoring. You know, God, He restores what was lost. And I know, you know, for some, it may be like, we all got kids, so, you know, mm-hmm. your story's over. But, but still, um, we get it, and we didn't know what it would look like, and we were on that journey to try to figure that out, you know? Um, and we held that very loosely, um, but yeah, I would think it was just, um, God has restored in me so much that was lost. Um, and so whatever the valley, um, you know, that you're in Mm -hmm. and the things that you feel like have been stolen Mm -hmm. or robbed, whether of your own choosing or whether, um, out of circumstance as a result of where you've been, uh, Whatever, where you were born into, whatever generational things in your life, whatever has been stolen, um, God is restoring and redeeming. God, and He has done that in me. Um, he has restored so much that um, that was lost, yeah. and He still is. Mm-hmm. Even in our family, like there are moments I'm like, look at us and our little family. Look at us doing family stuff. That's so <laughs> weird. I'm serious. There are moments I'm like, hey, look at that. Isn't that- cool, <laughs> you know, because there was so much of that that honestly was kind of lost in me. And, um, and so still I am being redeemed and restored mm-hmm. in every single day, uh, my heart. And um, so that was, that was definitely a, I say it was a valley, but oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that, the things that, you know, God meets you there in ways that you could never, ever, ever meet him, you know, but in that place. Mm-hmm. So did I answer yeah. that?
0: Thank you. love you. Okay. We were singing the song a minute ago, I've seen you move mountains, and I was just, whew. in my mind, the mountain was our infertility. And I wish if I'd have thought ahead, which I don't often do, um, I would have had a, a, an awesome picture of my two beautiful little girls on the screen right now. Uh, many of you know who they are. Um, but they're miracle children for us, and um, God is just so very good. He's so very good. Hey, um, this week as I've been kind of preparing this, I was thinking through our story this morning, and I was thinking through not only our story, mine and Lori's story, but also the story we're going to talk about this morning from this young lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah was also infertile, and I started thinking about infertility in general. There's, the facts are that one in six couples struggle with infertility. After the age of 35, one in four couples struggle with infertility. And there was a study done recently that said 63% of women who've walked through both divorce and infertility, 63% said infertility was much harder emotionally than divorce. In fact, there was a study, the same study that said when you walk through an infertility journey, it's the same emotional struggle as if you've been given uh, a ter- you've been uh, diagnosed that you have a terminal disease. Isn't that incredible? But the thing about when you have a terminal disease, your community comes around you and helps you and loves you. But when you struggle with infertility, you retreat into loneliness and heartbrokenness because you feel like you can't share. That causes incredible depression and struggle and some that we've walked through and some that many of you have walked through one way or another and it's something that Hannah walked through as well uh, in the ancient world for you to be infertile to not be able to to give children to the community to not uh, give children to your family was was a shame on you you were sort of the scorn of, of society you were uh, you weren't treated well there was a lack of value for women who couldn't conceive and as you can imagine Hannah was heartbroken. She was devastated and she was deeply depressed. Have you ever been so depressed that it feels like you don't have any more tears? Have you ever been there? Like I feel I'm, I'm, I'm dry. I can't even cry tears. I'm so heartbroken. You can't sleep. You might not be able to eat. You can't think about anything. You're just so heart sick. Have you been there before? I'm so thankful that our God sees us when we're in those dark, dark moments. And I'm thankful, I'm just, as we, this is where we're headed this morning about God seeing us even in moments of darkness and being near to us. Look at Psalm 34, 18, where he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. So whether you came in here this morning with a broken heart, or you've experienced one in the past, or you're coming out of wherever you are in that journey, God is near, and he saves the crushed in spirit. We're going to see in Hannah's story that uh, God gives us some direction through her response, really, of how to deal with heartbrokenness, how to deal with depression, loneliness, even the struggle like infertility. What, What should be our response? God will give us hope and help us to see that he hears our prayers. He really does. He hears them. So turn with me this morning in the beginning of our story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And we're going to read through this and we're going to kind of go, the fancy word through this is uh, exegesis. We're going to kind of go through some of the the text and I'm going to kind of just break down a few things as we go. And at the end, I'm going to kind of make it all, tie it all up, okay, in a package here. But let's read this text this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, there was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, uh, Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Epaphrathite. He had two wives. Now listen to this. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Even just the beginning of the story, right? We're going to set out, oh, Penina had children, but Hannah, she had no children. You can even feel the shame in the beginning of the story. Now, one of the things I want you to see in this is that this text and this story is not condoning or endorsing polygamy. Elkanah had two wives, and sometimes the Bible is descriptive and sometimes it's prescriptive. In other words, sometimes it kind of just describes what's happening in the story and sometimes it prescribes how we should live. And this is one where it's just sort of describing the situation. The reality is it's most likely that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. And when she couldn't conceive, like other characters in the Old Testament, we see that they, took, uh, they would take another wife with hopes that maybe they could conceive with a second wife. And that's probably the case with Penina as well. Either way, don't let this kind of cast a judgment on Elkanah. is a good man. And we're going to see that he makes some mistakes like every husband does, but God uses the specifics of his story. You're going to come sing a special, I guess, this morning. All right, let's look in verse 3, can we? Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife, and, tell her, uh, and also to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. See, the custom of the tabernacles: is when you would come to worship, you would bring a sacrifice. And you would offer that sacrifice, and after you would offer the sacrifice, you'd be able to eat a portion of that sacrifice. You could give a portion of that sacrifice to each member in your family, depending upon how many people you had in your family. So when it came to Penina, he would give a portion of Penina and all her sons and daughters, all these people. And then he look over at Hannah, and Hannah would be sitting there by herself. And so because he loved her and felt sorry for her, honestly, he would give her a double portion. In doing so, he's thinking he's doing a good thing, but really he's just bringing attention, isn't he, to the fact that she's barren. He's making a public statement about the fact, oh, you probably need this because you don't have children. Verse 6, and her rival, speaking of Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than 10 sons? Yeah. Right. Guys, have you ever made that mistake? Right? Right. Your wife is just, I mean, she's in a place, right? And you want to speak, I'm, I'm a fixer. I want to, can I fix this? What can I do? And I just start throwing stuff out, what, you know. And Elkanah made a big mistake. You've got the most awesome husband ever. Hannah, what's the deal? We're not better than 10 sons. He was clearly clueless. Hannah's struggling with an internal pain. And if you've walked through infertility, you, you know that. It's an internal shame. What's wrong with me? God, why am I not good enough? Why does my body not work? Why, what's the problem with me? What, what's the deal? It's an internal problem. But she's also dealing with an, a public problem. People know, right? Even in the, t- in the t- temple, the tabernacle, he's given a double portion because she doesn't have children, right? She feels that in front of everyone. On top of that, she has the ridicule of Penina. She makes fun of her because of her infertility. She's dealing with all this pain in the text speaks of how heartbroken and wounded she was through it all. You can imagine the depression and the distress. She didn't eat, and she wept bitterly, the text says. Her husband's clueless. (laughs) Am I not more than 10 sons? He's not helping the matter any. But then we see something happen in our story. Then we see something change in our story, and it's, Significant, okay, and I want you to pay attention to it because we can learn in our own struggle, in our own brokenness, in our own depression. What is this turn? What is this choice that she makes? We look at it together in verse nine. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, don't you look at these two next two words? Hannah rose. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction of of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine. Hannah answered, no my Lord, I'm, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul. Can you feel that? I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. Those two words are so significant at the beginning of that section to me. Hannah rose. See, the choice is you can stay seated. You can stay lay in a fetal position. You can stay taking all the wounds from everyone else. You can stay in the brokenness of the internal condition of your soul. That's not what she did, is it? Hannah rose. She stood. She made a choice. She got up to take her burden to the Lord's house, to the tabernacle, to lay it down before God. And she's praying so earnestly before the Lord. She's praying with such conviction with such faith she doesn't care about anybody else she's not worried about anybody what she looks like she's not worried about her dignity in this moment or about what I look like okay so much so that Eli thinks she's drunk and speaks to it by the way that's Eli's job he's supposed to make sure that worship in the tabernacle is is what it's supposed to be if somebody's drunk in the tabernacle you got to get them out of there he's trying to do his job but he was wrong she says sir I'm not drunk I'm troubled In spirit. And in that moment when she makes this prayer, she makes this vow to God, it almost sounds a little bit like a negotiation for God, doesn't it? God, if you'll give me this boy, I'll give him back to you. It's like this, if if I do this, you do that. But the reality is, number one, it's faith. She's praying for a child she doesn't have, right? She has faith and she wants to give. She wants to be generous. Lord, if you'll give him to me, I'll give him back to you. So Eli blesses her. He says, may the God of Israel grant your petition. For whatever reason, in that moment, she leaves with hope. She goes and eats, finally. She she leaves there with some sense of uh, satisfaction that she's laid it down before the Lord. Verse 19, let's keep going. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. Then skip down just a few verses. Verse 25 says, Then they slaughtered the bull. This is a few years later. They slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. She's going to keep her promise. And she said, Oh, my Lord. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So Hannah, she looks drunk in the temple. Eli gets on to her. She says, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just heartbroken. I'm praying for my soul. I'm pouring out my soul he says, well, may the, God, may the Lord of Israel bless you. So she leaves with some satisfaction, some sense of hope. She gets pregnant when they go home. And now's the moment where she gets to be full circle. She gets to, to take Eli back and fulfill her promise to the Lord. By the way, the name Samuel means heard of God or God heard my prayer. It's pretty appropriate, right? God heard her prayer for this child. And so she names him Samuel. When Samuel's old enough, they take him back to the tabernacle to live. By the way, keep the children at home here at South City. We don't need any children living with us here at the, at the church. This is not a precondition <laughs> for that. Um, but I love the fact that she goes to Eli, right? And she says, don't you remember me? I'm the crazy lady. Remember? You, you thought I was drunk. I, don't, I was, remember I was praying, I was in vex vexation, and I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Don't you remember me? You thought I was drunk, but I wasn't, and you said, the Lord bless you. And I love that testimony. I'm not who I was. I'm somebody else, and God has been faithful. Look what he's done in my life. In fact, this child is a product of that day, of that prayer, of that blessing. And she gets to share what God has done, and she's brought Samuel to live with Eli. Have you been where Hannah is? Have you been in a place that's just so full of pain, so full of agony, internally, externally, whatever the case may be, that you literally don't know which, which way is up, right? I know you have. And if you're young enough to not have been in that place, the day is coming, unfortunately. This morning, I want to take just a few minutes and wrap up our story, and I want us to look at six points from Hannah's uh, story from this text, can not we? Six points that we see how God does amazing things in Hannah's life. First thing we see on the back of your card, we got a few of these notes. If you want to take notes with me, first thing we see is that every one of us has something in common with Hannah. Everybody. It, it, yours may not be infertility. Yours may be financial. It might be relational. It it, it might be uh, medical. But there's probably some reason that you've walked through intense darkness and heartbroken depression. One thing we all have in common with Hannah is pain. We've all walked through very difficult pain. Yours may have looked different. But you've walked through something that seems unbearable. Like, I can't, I can't do this, God. I can't walk through another day of this. I, I don't feel anymore. Those dark moments, as hard as they are, my friends, listen, the good news is God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So even when we walk in those dark places, that's usually when God shows up the most, isn't it? So much so that you have people like Paul saying, Lord, let me be tried. Let me walk through suffering so that I can be in your presence, so I can know you more. A bold prayer. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts at us in our pain. He whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts, he screams at us in our pain. This morning, if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you to take a look at what Hannah did, okay? Hannah rose. She made a choice to not stay where she was, to not believe what she had believed, to not accept the condition she was in. She rose. She said, no, none of this, no more of this. I believe that God is a sovereign God. And because I believe that, I'm going to take my pain to him. She brought it to the Lord. She took it to his people. She took it to his house. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's what she's doing. God, I trust that you are mighty, that you are sovereign. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm not going to try and figure this out on my own. I'm just going to bring my, my pain to you. It says, and at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God is telling us when we're in that moment, we don't know what to do. Trust that he's God and bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. Rise out of the situation that you're in rise out of the beliefs that you've had about yourself or about what you think the future may or may not hold and even in the middle of that pain find the strength to rise and bring it to the lord i think it's amazing that hannah didn't grow bitter to penina right there's not part of our story where she you know she throat punches penina which might, that might have been more exciting i don't know There's not a a part of our our story where she really starts talking to her girlfriends about her husband, what an idiot he is, right? That's not part of our story. That's not what she did. She took it to the Lord. As clueless as her husband was, as evil as Penina was in the most difficult moment of Hannah's life, Hannah took it to the Lord. Hannah turned her pain into prayer. I I love the fact that uh, David uh, this is one of my favorite things that he says in Psalm 42, verse 11, and I've got this in the New Living Translation because I like the way it reads. David does the same thing. He, he, he finally looks at himself and says, what's going on with me? Have you ever had to speak to yourself? You ever, I mean, sometimes you just got to speak to yourself and go, what am I doing? Right? What's the deal with me? What's wrong with me? Have you ever done that? That's what David's doing in Psalm 42. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he he finds some strength. He rises. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He knows where his help comes from, and so Hannah does as well. She turns her pain into prayer. See, she knew God was in control of everything. Control of her life, control of her future, control of her body, God is in control. Verse 5 says, something that's hard to read, if I can be honest with you. Verse 5 says, God closed her womb. But Lord, in Genesis, you said be fruitful and multiply. How does this make sense? You want us to be fruitful and multiply, but Lord, you closed her womb. And the only thing I can tell you is that God has a plan beyond what we can see and understand. And God allows difficult, broken things and seasons in our lives for greater purposes than we will ever know. He does. And that's what we're going to see in Hannah's life. Also, do you notice this about her prayer? It is so authentic. I love this about Hannah. She is just praying her, her guts out. This is one of those snot cries. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's not pretty. You know, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you don't care. She's in that moment. She is worshiping. She's praying. But she's not saying a thing. Eli thinks she's drunk, but she's just pouring her heart out to the Lord. She said, literally, I'm pouring my soul out to God. Can I give you some of the descriptors? There are many of how broken she was. It said she wept bitterly. She was sad. She was in deep distress. She was troubled in spirit. She had a great affliction. She prayed, God, don't forget me. She said, I have anxiety. I'm I'm vexed. She said, don't think I'm worthless. Do you think she was struggling? Those all came right out of this this short text. All those descriptors of brokenness, all those descriptors of depression came out of this text. She was hurting, and she wasn't afraid to bring that pain to God. And he's not ashamed of your pain. It's okay. Bring it to him. Whatever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, whatever your deal is, don't, don't try to I'm, I'm put it together. I'm going to make sure. No. No. Some of you have experienced this in the last few months. You've walked through something very difficult and, and you just lost it in here and that's okay. It's a beautiful thing. We can surround you and love you right where you are. And God is honored that you're not faking it with him and his people. She's so demonstrative in her brokenness, Eli thinks she's drunk. God doesn't need us to clean up our prayer. He doesn't need us to clean up our posture. In fact, you can say some things that are just honest to God. And you know what? He'll help you in the middle of whatever you say, whatever your brokenness is. He's near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. I love this. Even when we don't have the words to say. Uh, In the same way there's times where you walk through life, you don't have the tears to pray. It's usually about that time you don't have the words to say. Been there? You're just kind of like, I got nothing, God. I got nothing. That's okay. He meets us right there. Look at Romans 8, 26. Out of the message, it says, Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting... God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our worthless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that in every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to have the words to explain to God what's going on. You don't have to be eloquent in how you give detail to the brokenness of your soul. You can just have faith that God sees your heart, and he can translate it all by his spirit. That's just so beautiful. That's a loving God, isn't it? He comes so near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, so near that you don't even have to speak. That's how much our God... Loves us and meets us in our deepest need. Here's the next thing we see in Hannah's story. Hannah began to see there's a purpose in her pain. Now, in the middle of your pain, you're not going to see a whole lot of purpose. It's just going to hurt. It's just going to hurt. It's just going to be difficult. But at some point, the prayer is you begin to see a purpose. That God is going to use this because God uses everything. He won't waste one of your tears. One of your broken hearted moments. He won't waste one. And that's what prayer does in our lives. When we choose to rise, as Hannah did, God helps us to see the purpose in our pain. He takes our pain-filled groans and our heart cries. He helps us understand what he wants to do with all of that for his glory and for our good. There is purpose in your pain. Can you think about this for a second? What if Hannah had not been barren? If she just had some children, right? And and Eli was like, hey, we need somebody to kind of come. and..." What would her answer have been? What? Just think about it. you got a three-year-old, and I come up to you today and go, hey, I've been thinking. I think you ought to just go ahead and give the kid to us here at the church. We need need him for some ministry things in the future. Is that cool? We good with that? What would you have been like, uh, What? (laughs) See, the pain in Hannah's life prepared her for her sacrifice. And in the pain in your life, it prepares you for what you offer to God. Had she not walked through this season of bitterness, she wouldn't have made this offer. Pain has a way of making us generous, not entitled. Pain has a way of making us generous because we've been there, we've hurt. And we want to help those people who are hurting as well. She said in her vow, in her prayer, she said, Oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Do you notice something here? Something changes in Hannah. She goes from being a woman who's barren, wanting children, to a woman who's still barren, but full of faith that God could provide her a son and ready to give him back to the Lord. Do you see the change? It reminds me of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, Lord, can you remove this cup from me? But not my will, your will. This doesn't look exactly how I thought it might, but, but Lord, not what I want. Let it be what you want. It's the same kind of thing. It even reminds me of, of another Old Testament character who was willing to offer their child to the Lord. Abraham, right? Because in this moment, she's realized her greatest affection is to have a child. And she's saying, Lord, I'm going to give you my greatest affection. I'm going to give it back to you. Abraham and Sarah had also struggled with infertility. Can you imagine the heartache of holding a knife over your son, your only son that you'd prayed for and hoped for, but his faith was stronger in who God was and his provision that God was good. Mm. So here Hannah's compared in a way to Abraham. She lays it down. She lays this greatest affection down instead of holding on to it. You know, many times, if you'll look deep into the heart of what your depression is, like right now, if you're walking through something, you're really struggling. You can't let something go. You're just really depressed. Man, I encourage you to ask the Lord to help you look deep into what that thing is. Because many times we're holding on to some sort of attachment to our soul that shouldn't be there. But God, I need a child. I need so that people don't think I'm worthless. I need a child. I need a husband. I need a job. I need this car. I need this and that and this. And when we don't have the things that that we're attached to in our soul, we become depressed. Look deep into your heart, into your soul. What, What are the attachments that are there? Because it could be that God has allowed this pain into your life so that you can recalibrate your affections. Is there a pain in your life that is just unbearable? And God may be trying to get your attention and saying, that's because it's not me. Put me first. Not this thing that you want so desperately that it's broken your heart. Let me be all that you need. Not this thing. Once Hannah prays, God gives her peace. You get a sense that she's no longer sad and she goes and eats. She's got hope that God's heard her cry. And can I be honest on the little side here? My prayer is that when you come into this place or when you go into your city group, because either place is the church, you have a place where you can lay down your burden and walk away not sad anymore. Or you can walk away not as burdened. You've laid it down before the Lord and your family and you say, I need your help. And they've taken it. And they're going to help you. They've prayed over you. You can have some hope. That's my prayer, that we as a church could be that. So in our story, so Samuel is now being taken back to the tabernacle by Elkanah and Hannah. And this is the full circle moment. Uh, They want to let Samuel be used in, in ministry, and she testifies. Remember the crazy lady? That was me. God met her need, and she kept her promise. God met her need. And she kept her promise, but she had no idea the greater purpose of Samuel's life. No clue for her pain and her sacrifice. Another aside here, and this is a hard lesson to learn, parents, but every child is a gift from God, right? Let me take it a second step. Every child needs to be given back to the Lord. Every child is his gift, and every child should be given back. To the Lord and we had waited so long we had waited so long and I remember Daisy came out and I'm holding Daisy Joy and of course I'm a, you can imagine I'm just, I'm just the ugly snot cry mess I was in one of those moments and it, was, it wasn't like a Simba moment but it was close <laughs> I, I remember raising her up a little bit and giving her to the Lord she had just come out of her mother's womb and I said, Lord, this is your child. This is not our child. You do with her what you choose, God. And the thing I'm learning as a parent, you don't do it day one and that's it. One and done. You give them to the Lord every single day. Her pain led her to pray, which helped her to understand the purpose Her pain, and as the Lord begins to meet her need, she begins to praise God. I mean, she begins to worship. God comes through in His faithfulness, and Hannah's appropriate response is to praise God. By the way, God comes through in faithfulness in your life. Your appropriate response is to praise. That's why when we come in here, we need to be thinking about how has God been faithful to me today? Has God been faithful to me this week? Has God been faithful to me this this year? Do I deserve to, to stand here, to have breath in my life? No, no, no. All of those thoughts ought to lead us to praise. They ought to lead us to worship because God is so good. And we see, we have this recorded song of praise from Hannah. And I want to encourage you to look at it later in full. But I want to read the first half of it to you in Santa, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. I just love this. She says, Hannah prayed, I'm bursting with God news. This is out of the message. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. Who do you think that's pointed at? I'm dancing my salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. Don't dare talk pretentiously. Not a word of boasting ever. For God knows what's going on. He takes the measure of everything that happens. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces. While the weak are infused with fresh strength. The well-fed are out begging in the streets for crust. While the hungry are getting second helpings. Look at this. The barren woman has a house full of children while the mother of many is bereft. This is a personal moment of of worship. Clearly, she's written this before this moment. She's already been processing with God, and she brings this song of praise, this song of thanksgiving to the tabernacle, and she reads it out loud. And in that, there's a couple little jabs. Look what God has done in me. Look what he's done to me. And she goes on and even begins to speak some prophetic things later down in verse 10 and 11, which you can look at later. So Elkanah and Hannah, they continue to be faithful to the Lord. They continue to to seek him. And it's in God's provision that Hannah's cup overflows. I mean, just like I was thinking about this as Lori was sharing, um, for us to share about infertility, we have to kind of reach back in our memory. Because you have to reach back through all this unbelievable amount of blessings and goodness and God's kindness and story change to find, oh, yeah, that heartache that was back there. You know what I mean? That's what God does. He provides for us in beautiful ways. Look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a, a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up to, with her husband. To offer her yearly sacrifice, don't you love that? That's such a little human element of the story. My mom would totally do that. If I was Samuel, she'd totally be bringing a robe every year. You know, I just love that. Verse twenty. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, "May the Lord give you children by this woman, for the petition she asks of the Lord." So then they returned. Uh, So then they would return to their home. Verse 21. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. (laughs) Is God providing for her needs and her desires? Is God meeting her where she never dreamed he would meet her? You see, they go to the tabernacle every year to offer the sacrifice. And that hadn't changed. They did it before, they're doing it now because that's who they are. They're people of faithfulness to the Lord. And as they're doing that, Eli knows who they are. He's like, oh yeah, crazy drunk woman. I mean, not drunk, but you know, you were kind of crazy that night. Yeah, uh, he knows who she is. And he, he, he approves of her, her faith and he's like, Lord, I pray that the Lord would bless you and give you many children and that's what God does. She ends up having five more kids. See, when we learn to trust God with everything, Listen, when we we learn to trust God with everything, even our greatest affections, God is so faithful to do more for us than we could ever ask or think or imagine. That's what he did in Hannah's life. She was once barren and shamed. Now she's the mother of six. blessed beyond her wildest imagination. When I was looking at this, I couldn't help but think about Psalm 37.4. It says, God will give us the desires of our heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. That's what he did in her life. That's the story of our youngest, Jovi. We're infertile. We're not supposed to have kids. So we went through the medical procedure and had Daisy. And then three years later, (laughs) it's a miracle and quite a big surprise to us. Jovi's name means God will add. And he did. He gave us more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Here's the last thing for our card this morning. Hannah probably never considered how her pain and her sacrifice would be so providential for Israel and the story of God. She never, never had any idea what God would do with Samuel, but Samuel's kind of a big deal, okay? Let me run a few things down here. He was, the, he was Israel's greatest and last judge. He was a prophet and a priest. He was a kingmaker, they call him, because he anointed uh, King Saul, king. And he also helped Israel go from just sort of a tribe, a nation of people, to a monarchy that, that follows a king. And then, he, remember, he goes to Jesse's house, and he's looking for the king to, to anoint, and he goes through all of David's brothers, and he's scratching his head, is there no one else? And Jesse's like, well, I got a runt down there taking care of the sheep. He's not, and he's like, go get him, remember? And then he anoints David king, and it's through David's line comes our Savior, Jesus. Samuel's also listed in Hebrews eleven as a hero of the faith. See, God used Samuel; He used Samuel greatly for His purposes. Yet his life began through a wounded woman and a desperate prayer. God used Samuel greatly. For his story and for his purposes, but it all started in the prayer of his mother who was deeply disturbed, deeply heartbroken, deeply distressed. There's no telling how God can turn your desperate prayer this morning into an amazing story that he uses for his glory. Don't let your pain make you powerless and defeated. Can I just encourage you this morning rise up, get out of the muck and the mire. One of my favorite, I think it's my favorite psalm, Psalm 40. It says, I waited and I waited and waited on God. At last he looked, he finally heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the mud, out of the miry clay, and he set my foot on a rock. And he placed a God song in my mouth. Rise up. Get out of the mud and the mire. God will give you the strength to do that. I believe that with all my heart. Know that your pain has a purpose, that God wants to use it for his glory if we surrender it to him. And then as he is faithful because he always is, you've never failed me yet, we say. Then praise him. Because what once was weeping for provision can become a song of thankfulness. And how appropriate for us today. Some of you may have come in here this morning and your, your heart's hurting. And like Hannah, I can just, I just encourage you to lay that thing down. Lay it down. So that when we leave here and we go eat in the fellowship, uh, in the family life center this morning, you've got joy. You feel like God has heard your prayer and you've laid it before Him because He loves you. He's listening and He's working and moving on your behalf. And know that there's no end to God's favor and providence when we surrender to His will. Listen, I think that there's different folks here this morning with different issues. Some of you may be so depressed that all you know to do is just to lay it before the Lord. Then rise up and do that. And some of you may have done that and you're just trying to trust God. What's the purpose in this pain? I don't see it. Trust. Trust that God has a purpose. And then, as God is so faithful, praise. Praise Him. This morning we're going to close. And I just got to ask you what's your choice? Hannah had to make a choice to rise up. She had to make a choice to do something different. What will your choice be? How will you lay it down? Will you hold on to it? Will you stay in the junk? Will you stay in the brokenness? Or will you say, I'm done with that today? Not today, Del, I'm done. There's a purpose in this pain. You're growing me, you're teaching me, you're gonna use this somehow for your glory and I wanna lay it down before you. My prayer is that you'll be able to leave it here as our team comes, can I just encourage you to do that? You know, we're kind of old-fashioned here in a little ways, and I'll, I kind of like it a lot in that we uh, we have an altar area. A lot of churches don't have an altar area anymore. A lot of churches don't spend time where you say, if you need to pray, come pray. But I believe there's something in this story that that gives us the faith to believe that we can lay down our burdens and we can walk away, knowing that God has hurt us and we can have hope that he's a sovereign God and he's good. So this morning, look right here, if you're dealing with something, would you come and pray? Would you find somebody to grab a hand and somebody in your city group, pray with them? Would you seek the Lord in the church so that he can remind you that he's listening, that he's near to the brokenhearted and that he saves the crushed In spirit, whatever you're walking through, rise up. Out of the junk. Let's try something different for a change. Let's find some healing and some hope. And let's walk out of this place to go eat in thankfulness in a little bit. In joy, because our God has heard our prayer. And he is with us. And he's going to bless us more than we could ever conceive or imagine. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, you're so kind. And so good. Lord, I know that there's a good chance that a lot of people here this morning are struggling deeply. And I'm so thankful for our worship service already and the songs we've sung that that speak to your hope in the middle of our brokenness. But Lord, songs are not enough. We need to make a choice to rise and to lay those things before you. So God, I'm praying for anyone here this morning really struggling, really depressed. We'll have pastors and elders available, Lord, if, if we can pray with them or encourage them in some way. But God, would you move in this place? Help us not to worry about what anybody else thinks. As Hannah did, she just prayed from the authentic heart. She just, she just spoke from her soul. God, would you let us do that today so that we can find your healing and your encouragement your nearness, your salvation as we're crushed in spirit. And God, remind us, if we've already walked through something, remind us that you'll continue to be faithful. We'll be faithful, God. You'll be faithful. You'll blow our minds in all that you want to do for your glory and in your story. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning?